Welcome to the 26th episode of the Skills Factory. Talks and ideas about skills from Europe and beyond. This is the podcast series of the European Training Foundation, the European Union agency working on human capital development in the EU neighboring countries. Today, we speak about the skills and knowledge we all need to make the green transition happen. We also are used to call them green skills. So why green skills are important and what role they will play in our daily lives. Let me introduce our guest for this discussion, Roman Boitard, European Training Foundation. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us today. Green skills are only needed for developed economically wealthy countries. True or false? False. Green skills are too expensive to learn and implement. True or false? False. Green skills are only relevant for certain industries such as renewable energy. True or false? False. Green skills are only relevant for the future, not for the present. True or false? False again. Most green jobs are male jobs. True or rather false? Well, that's true. For now, we're changing that. Let's tackle the most common ideas about green skills, Roman. We hear a lot from the developing countries, from the EU neighboring countries, that green skills is uh, something for really economically wealthy countries. So are green skills only accessible for developed countries, Roman? Good question. Are they needed and accessible? If we use low, middle, high income framework, which is uh, sometimes used to look at a country's development, then uh, regrettably, yes. In high-income countries, the share of green skills and green jobs has grown by over 40% in the last five years. It's a little bit smaller for middle-income countries, and it's well below 20% for low-income ones. So for now, yes, it seems that richer countries deploy more green skills because they make it easier to access. Now, having said that, irrespective of uh, economic growth or strength, All countries rely on a thriving economy to sustain their social development. And today, this uh, requires shifting to a clean, circular economy for multiple reasons. I mean, first, countries have signed up to the Paris Declaration and must achieve carbon neutrality in uh, the next two decades. Secondly, the environmental impact of most economic activities must be controlled in order to preserve biodiversity and forests and keep rivers clean. You know, most economic activities rely on a healthy environment, farming, tourism, construction. So the status quo is simply not an option because climate change will render um, economic activities harder with time. You know, ask a construction worker how they feel about working on a day where the temperatures are above 35. Or ask farmers, how will they grow food with less and less water? Are there any calculations of what will happen if we are not developing the green skills? So the other way around, how expensive it is going to be not to develop them? Yeah, that that would be the costliest uh, scenario, the status quo. But there's been various projections that look at how uh, economic activities will become increasingly hard to conduct with the rising sea level, with the rising temperatures, with decreasing precipitation, stronger weather events, etc., etc. All these uh, consequences of climate change make work harder. So not addressing it would be by far the costliest option. Is it correct to say that to acquire green skills, it's quite a costly process itself? So 
green skills are too expensive to learn and implement. Well, first of all, there's no plan B. So we must collectively shift to green economies or we will lose decades worth of uh, socio-economic development, not to mention a decent future for our children and uh, grandchildren. So no cost is too high. Uh, that would be the first part of my uh, answer. But you can add that apart from a very few exceptions, all countries have signed up to the uh, Paris Declaration, which requires achieving net zero emissions by 2050, which in turn requires the decarbonization of all economic sectors, and this cannot happen without skills. So from a country perspective, developing green skills and competences, you could call it a fundamental building block of their net zero ambitions, um, as well as an integral need for their economies to remain competitive and integrate the global value chains. So education has a cost, we all know that, but it is also the best investment any country can make to ensure that its human capital is geared to work and thrive in a green economy. From a business perspective, even SME perspective, the goal is to remain competitive by providing services that consumers are willing to pay for. And increasingly, consumers seek services and products from greener businesses. So even small businesses need to consider the environmental impact in order to remain relevant. And this is best achieved by developing a better, more in-depth understanding of sustainability green skills. And finally, from an individual perspective, green skills are growing in demand in an exponential manner. Your education must include sustainability and ideally some technical green skills too, to help you remain competitive on the labor market. Everyone should acquire green skills, right? But somehow it maybe is easier in the formal education system because you can include certain elements into the curriculum. What about adult learning? How can we make sure that adults would acquire those skills? Maybe the employers should take part in it. The employers should incorporate these training programs. Or what is the way forward? The green transition has a number of impacts on the labor market. So we have some emerging new jobs uh, typically the renewable energy uh, sector jobs, which are new, that did not exist 10 years ago. And that's clearly very important. But what is more significant statistically is that the majority of traditional occupations need to integrate sustainability and some forms of green skills. Could you give us an example? An example of a job that was not considered to belong to the green sectors but that will need to include sustainability and green skills from now on. There's many to pick from, but let's say if we just look at agri-food, you can talk about farmers. They need to produce food with less fertilizers, less pesticides. But let me use an example that I heard about recently, the example of hair salon. Now, in order to, for hair salons to remain competitive, they need to um, ensure that they try to use less resources, waste less resources, use less chemicals. We all know that cosmetics is one area where there's lots of uh, chemicals that get uh, wasted in the, in the sewage system. In the future, a hair salon will need to understand these and, and try to find solutions to treat uh, the client's hair with products that are less chemical, 
Um, and also, you can actually recycle human hair once it's been cut. I was not aware of that. Uh, but there's a, I read about this hair salon that does that. So they, they, they keep all the hair rather than throwing it away and use it um, in the control of oil slicks, which I found uh, very inspiring. So these are just some examples of um, the jobs that will need to get greener and that were not considered to be in a green sector previously. So do you think that people in these traditional professions, they understand that they will need to reskill and upskill themselves in the near future, that they need to look for training opportunities and courses to become more competitive as well? Regrettably, uh, not enough. I mean, of course, um, there's many uh, talented professionals who fully understand the environmental impact of their occupation, but it's not the norm yet. Uh, and much more needs to be done with that. Um, in fact, ETF looks into this issue very in detail. Uh, we, we've conducted surveys. We've looked at um, the uh, habits of adult learning uh, throughout um, uh, countries. And there's a few countries where it is basically the, the norm, where people regularly uh, take on um, additional courses uh, while they work. What countries are those that are performing well in this sense? The north of Europe, Scandinavia. Um, particularly, um, they're the most advanced in this case. Um, and as you go uh, south and east, uh, then the, the, the figures decrease. We find some countries, and regrettably, the countries that need it most, countries that have a large uh, fossil fuel industry, for example, a lot of, as we exit um, um, our fossil fuel era, um, lots of, um, of these workers will need to transit career um, and do something else. In these countries, the, the infrastructure and the culture of adult learning needs to be most uh, functional, and that's not the case yet. So this is something for which lots of improvements are required, and, uh, and, we, and we hope to contribute to that with, uh, with some of the analysis and the dissemination that we're doing. What ETF is doing to raise the awareness in EU neighboring countries about the importance of green skills? We do multiple things. We, we approach this issue from, from multiple angles. One of our flagship um, initiatives um, has been the ETF Green Skill Award, which we launched um, three years ago. We've had already two editions, and this has been a, a great way to not only identify, but also showcase some of the innovations that uh, youth and uh, education providers come up we also conduct studies to really understand what happens at the level of sectors. Each sector, you know, behaves differently. And, um, and then once we have the new knowledge, we organize through our networks dissemination events to make sure that the new knowledge is not only disseminated, but discussed um, with our partners to make sure that our stakeholders, uh, who include, you know, government decision makers, they can also be um, social partners, um, employers federation, uh, trade unions, as well as the learners themselves. All these stakeholders are addressed some way or another to help them grow their awareness of what needs to be done and most importantly, how to do it. The Green Skills Award was launched two years ago, and I would like to invite all of our listeners to apply. The call is open until 23rd of April, and you can become the next ETF Green Skills Award winner. Roman, when people think about Green Skills, a lot of them actually have the thinking of, well, this is for tomorrow, this is not for now. I will learn something maybe in the future because this is future technologies. What would you say to those people? 
We know the green transition is now being accelerated through both regulation and policies, government funding. We also know the demand for green skills is increasing throughout the world and certainly throughout the European Union and its neighborhood. So green skills are required uh, now and their need is likely to only grow in the future. Just look up any employment a vacancy platform, uh, not to mention LinkedIn or any other uh, similar platform. Look up jobs that include sustainability in their uh, description. There are thousands. The need for green skills is now, not later. We have a decade to act. Roman, when you think about those new jobs, new green jobs, solar panels, renewable energy, the first thing you would imagine is a male figure working on solar panel. My question is, how equal is green transition and how equal are and inclusive are the green jobs? Because my impression is that most green jobs are actually male jobs. Well, that's true. Gender inequalities is nothing new. It's rooted in the different roles and identities given to individuals, depending on whether they are male or female. For example, we know that girls and women are less prone to enroll in courses that include a high degree of uh, information technology or a high degree of STEM skills. Um, STEM stands for science, technology, engineering and math. And so they're segregated in particular types of occupations, which are often vulnerable and insecure, not to mention paid less. So there is a risk that the non-green economy would pass on these issues with gender inequalities to the new and green economy and, and to the new labor market. Yeah, it's, it's totally, and it's not a risk, it's happening. For example, the OECD released some data on that a few months ago, and they calculate that if you look at all the green jobs around the world, only 28% are taken up by women. Oh, wow. But that's nothing new. It's not a phenomenon that's limited to the confines of uh, uh, green employment. Previously, uh, before the renewable energy race, if I may call it like that, uh, women were already underrepresented in the energy jobs. Like, for example, if you look at the global female labor force, which is just about 40%, well, only 16% of jobs in the energy sector were taken up by women. So the gender inequality is being carried over into our current context. Clearly something that is unacceptable for a number of reasons. It's also a business case. In most countries, there is a lack of green talents, basically profiles with the right to technical uh, green skills and, and green competences. Countries are needing to find ways to fulfill these uh, gaps and this you know, increased demand. And yet women are kept out of it. If they were to include women, you would double up uh, the number of people with the right profiles applying for these jobs. You know, uh, our audience can do the math. You multiply it by two, you really mitigate a economical issue. So beyond the human rights perspective, it's, um, there's a business case to getting women and girls into green jobs. 
And no surprise that the first ever winner of the ETF Green Skills Award was a Palestinian girl, a refugee from Palestine. They became the first ever solar panel installer in her country. So that was pretty much the story yeah. of, you know, a, a woman actually making a, a, a journey in a male industry. Yeah, yeah, no, clearly. Well, I mean, we, we feel very strongly about that at ETF, as, a, as our audience <laughs> knows. would like to introduce a, a new tradition to our podcast. We'll be using the artificial intelligence to make one question to our expert that will be, of course, related to the topic of the episode. So today we have a question from ChatGPT about green skills and it goes for Roman. Given the rapidly evolving nature of technology and the green economy, how do you ensure that the green skills being developed today will still be relevant and in demand in the future. Okay, so if I answer this question correctly, does it mean I get to keep my job and I do not lose <laughs> it to artificial intelligence? Well, kind of, yes. <laughs> okay, so I better get this right. Um, all right, so I see two parts to this question. First, skills demand change constantly. And the main objective of education and training systems is to develop the relevant skills for a clean green economy at all stages of its development. Uh, this in turn requires skills anticipation mechanisms, because by the time you have trained the teachers, updated the learning programs and actually delivered the courses, a few years pass between the time you identified the need for new skills and the time where the right profiles are available for recruiters. And this also relies on a functional education that goes well beyond the formal training of young people, but also considers like, the needs of working professionals. We mentioned it earlier, the adults. But the second part is that um, in order to maintain your skills profile throughout your career, the concept of lifelong learning is increasingly being used to refer to the need of workers and adults to maintain their skill sets, but also learn new skills as they become needed and relevant. So the role of lifelong learning is clear. We need high quality lifelong learning for the green transition and sustainable development. And this includes traineeships, apprenticeships, volunteering, extracurricular activities, youth work activities, and other forms of formal and non-formal learning. So these aspects are an important part of, of all the efforts that come with the, uh, the educational dimension of the green transition. But to make it truly sustainable and resilient, we're going to need more investments, and they need to go beyond physical infrastructure or the formal sector. They need to invest directly to support the learners of all ages, their parents, uh, educators, their communities, as well as the non-formal and informal uh, learning sectors. We need to equip learners with the competences needed to shape a more sustainable economy and society. Learning for the green transition needs to be transformative and interdisciplinary. Uh, sorry, I need to use these uh, terms because they are important in this case. Transformative in the sense that you don't simply develop new knowledge, but it transforms you to be an agent of change. And this requires that you focus on cognitive, practical, and socio-emotional skills and go beyond the mere awareness of climate crisis. 
you need to develop a sense of agency. This is something that uh, we uh, have found is really important. Just to make it sharper, do you think there is an education system that is capable following the speed of technological change? Part of the answer would be that the education system is evolving very quickly, like everything else uh, around us. And increasingly, what you find is that some of the immediate needs of the growing demand for green skills are related to green technology. Traditionally, you would learn technology at school or in training institutions where you would be exposed to the technology, learn about it, and then move on to your working life. Now, because the green technology is developing so fast, uh, I mean, you basically have new models uh, of solar panels every you know, three months. Same thing for heat pumps, etc. Schools are going to find it extremely difficult to keep up with these developments, and they cannot simply buy new technology every three months to make sure that exactly. their workshops are relevant. So what increasingly what's being done is that businesses get together and put together the workshop where they deploy and maintain the equipment of the workshop so that schools around in that community can go and be exposed to these new technologies so that the learners have seen the latest technology firsthand before they even start to work. This is increasingly a model that we see developing in many countries and that's probably part of the solution. In a nutshell, the future of green education is in cooperation between education and businesses and private sector. Is that correct? Yes, that's that's a very large part of the of the solution and, and often it's referred to as private sector engagement. I would like to thank our speaker for this episode, Roman Boitard. Thank you for being with us today, Roman. Thank you for having me. And thanks again for listening. Stay tuned because there is much more to come. Goodbye. <laughs>